Hello and welcome to this second episode of what we are now calling. <laughs> are, we, are we doing this? Yes, are we, we are. Calling it this? We are calling it this. You agreed. Do not for one second make it sound like I've dictated you into this. I have, if anything, been terribly non-committal about what the name of this podcast should be. Your your commitment to not having epirode by epirode <laughs> is much greater than my commitment to not having this. A reference to something that will not be in episode one. <laughs> <laughs> Luke would like to call this podcast Epirode by Epirode. Um, I would not like that. And so what we are calling it is Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. If you are watching along with this podcast uh, for the first time and have not seen Waterloo Road before, Everything From Nothing is the school's motto. There is a Latin version of it. I don't know what it is. Um, no, one in I... Roch- no one in Rochdale knows what it is either. So... I don't feel, well, one, I don't feel like disrespecting the people at Rochdale is going to get us when you... Uh, <laughs> if, if anything, that should be our most booming market. <laughs> yeah. But also, I don't, re- I don't really think, you know, everything from nothing is hardly a searchable boost to the uh, podcast numbers. Putting it in Latin would definitely not help. <laughs> There is, a, you know, the Venn diagram of Latin enthusiasts and Waterloo Road fans has a, a, an enormous middle section. I, w- I wouldn't want to meet the person in that middle section. <laughs> that that person is like writing to their local restaurants right now, telling them how disappointed they are that they're closing. Love the topical humour on a podcast that will not be coming out for quite some time. So go on, Tom, recap the episode. How did you find, how are you finding watching it again? So how many times have you watched this before? Uh, how many times have I watched Waterloo Road before? Well, um, I have seen it probably, I've probably only watched it the once when it was on TV. Like I wouldn't go back and watch my favourite episodes or anything. So I probably well. just watched it through <laughs> once. Um, and then probably four or five months ago when they first put Waterloo Road onto iPlayer, um, I started again and got through, I'm, halfway through series three but have now gone back for this podcast um so this is probably the third time i've seen these episodes so it's not that i know them intimately (laughs) because i start to feel myself like recognizing a lot of them these definitely played a part in my growing up there were like scenes i recognize and all that kind of stuff i seem to remember i feel like was sky plus around at this time i think it was Yes, it would have been. Do you know what I think it is? I think because Waterloo Road was such a flagship for the BBC kind of midweek schedule at this point, the key key scenes from each episode were on hard rotation as advertising. Yeah. So there will be scenes, moments, characters that you will have seen dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the course of quite a concentrated period. (laughs) For younger people, right, we're really lifting... Younger people, we're in our mid-twenties. Like, yeah, we are not old. <laughs> we're really lifting the lid on one era before peak TV looked like. You just describe Waterloo Road unironically as a flagship programme. We've brought in biggest broadcaster. The broadcaster that in the past couple of years has brought things like Fleabag and, you know, the that Golden Compass series and all that kind of stuff. It used to bring you like grotty tea, like teacher drama. It was it was it was a fantastic schedule on Wednesday nights. It was Waterloo Road immediately followed by The Apprentice. It was that's why I've seen this. 
Because <laughs> I used to watch The Apprentice every Wednesday. I remember that now. That's why I've seen so many of these episodes. And that's why by the end of each episode, they get more and more familiar to me. <laughs> yeah, that's a, you, the next time trailer you saw every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would come in. Because obviously the next time trailer is for the entire plot of the next episode. <laughs> yeah. I remember like, I'd be in my room, I'd be doing something, and then I'd come in to watch The Apprentice on a Wednesday night. I mean, that was like the night I was allowed to stay up a bit later, um, just so I could watch that. And yeah, I always saw. But I think it was one of those things where I started catching the end of Waterloo, and then I just come in and sit for the whole of it because it was brilliant. And I'm sure it was brilliant. The thing is, because I was what fourteen, and all the people in it were fourteen, fifteen, and I was like, oh, eye candy for me on TV. Whatever you say. Um, so, in, in stark contrast to last week's episode, which started in quite jaunty fashion, this week starts very, very sad. Um, you, you know, we see the people arriving at school. Uh, Chloe Granger will not leave her car. Oh wait! Before that, um, is this the first like main credits? Yes, it I would be. In, the, in the first episode, they didn't have it. Yeah, um, the, the first episode has a title card, but no credits. Yeah, and this one has like the teachers' faces, and it makes the the name out of the desks and stuff because it's about school. Get it? Yes. Um, one of the one of the interesting things actually is that in as far as I can remember, across every series of this show, it was only ever the teachers who were in the opening credits, never the kids. Despite the fact that the kids, especially in episode two, make up 90% of the screen time. Yes. So that, I always found that bizarre. <laughs> that like teacher characters who were in like every three episodes <laughs> were always in the opening credits, but never the kids. I suppose it like it made all the kind of, you know, like mid- middle class, mid 40s people who actually watch this show not feel like they were watching chavvy teenagers abuse one another. It made them feel like they were watching a gritty te- teacher drama. <laughs> it was, yeah, it never was that. Um, so as I said, we've, it's a very sad opening to this episode. Obviously, in the wake of the uh, the car accident at the end of the previous one, with a very poor cover of everybody hurts. I think <laughs> there's a couple in the next two episodes. There's a couple of questionable song choices. I know. After you were so complimentary of the song choices in the first one. Well, in one of them, they misuse the killers. I'm not happy about that. Um, <laughs> like uh, someone I work with, I think he's about four years younger than I am, and he was like, "Who's your favorite band?" And I was like, "Unironic." unironically said the killers and he just looked at me like i was the oldest person in the world <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like you just said nickelback <laughs> <laughs> it's just like i've i've just like verbatim quoted his 50 year old uncle <laughs> because there was like a, a very small sweet spot maybe it was six months maybe it was a year maybe it was slightly more when it was acceptable to like nickelback and yeah. very very quickly that window closed and Nickelback became quote unquote the worst thing ever. You're still hurt. You're just all shy. I'm like really hurt about that, aren't you? <laughs> you you want to be able to really like Nickelback, but you just know it's not hard. We all just want to be big rock stars. Luke. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Um, yes, it's so it's it's a terrible cover as we said at the start. Everyone's very sad. Chloe won't leave the car. Uh, once she eventually does, we realise that she is um, very uh, very injured in the wake of the accident, but not as injured as uh, several of her friends. Um, no, not Tom. One of them's dead. <laughs> we learn that Adam, whose name we're learning for the first time, 
uh, passed away in the accident and that um, one of their friends, Holly, is currently uh, in a coma. It becomes clear very quickly that this is the first day they've all been back at school and um, Dante has uh, very quickly been sort of outed as the person responsible for the accident. Um, And he essentially arrives at school to a lynch mob um, uh, led by uh, Adam's twin sister and her friend, Janice, who is uh, an interesting character who we're introduced to. Yeah, see, I recognise her when she turned up, and, like, she doesn't mince her words, isn't it? No, she's a very straight talker, um, and and actually one of the most fun Waterloo Road characters, uh, I think. She went on to uh, a career in in several uh, British soaps, I think, so she's quite a recognisable face. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think uh, I saw her in Emmerdale. uh, Chelsea Healy, the actress, she's uh, quite a recognisable face. Um... I think if I like, I think if if I had my time again, because there was a time when I wanted to be like, I wanted to do drama, be an actor. I'd I'd love to have just like a recurring role in a soap for about twenty to thirty years. It's an amazing gig, isn't it? Because you don't really have to do very much, and you get paid well for it, and so you just you live comfortably, but not to excess, and you just have a solid job that you keep turning back to. And basically, if you one day say, I want to leave, they'll then say, okay, now we'll kill you off. No one ever gets killed off just for the hell of it. No. They get killed off when they say they want to leave. So, yes, I think you're right. I think if I was a a jobbing British actor, those would be the roles you wanted. And it's it's interesting, though, that once you get into that world, you kind of find yourself trapped in it. Yeah, I see very few people. uh, Michelle Keegan did a pretty decent transition out of like soaps into it's other BBC drama, but it's like big, big budget BBC drama. It's interesting because obviously you look at Australian soaps and the path from Australian soap to Hollywood is very, very clear. Yeah. But that's like, it's like a couple of examples, right? (laughs) So we, we, every Australian superstar will be told, Oh, they were in a soap. It's like, okay, cool. Right. But we don't watch all of the soaps. We don't see all of the actors who are not in soaps. It's like, what's his face? Um, who used to play... He's been, he was Ryan Naismith in Dream Team and Calvin in Hollyoaks. He was in... He was the face of American Gods and he was in two series of The 100. And people don't go, all, all British soap stars become Hollywood movie stars. <laughs> okay. I take your point. <laughs> well, at some point, we'll get beyond the first two minutes of uh, this episode of Waterloo Road. Oh, yeah. Um, while all this is happening, Andrew Trenabon, who of course we met last week, is debuting, debuting his latest initiative, uh, which is uh, the cooler, um, a sort of isolation room where people who are misbehaving could be sent. Um, his his big pitch is, well, if it worked in Birmingham, which I don't think is as good an argument as he thinks it is. I like it's odd, isn't it? it, it it's both in every way that's offensive to Birmingham. It's like saying. Well, if it worked in Birmingham, where everyone is filth. <laughs> I, I have no trouble believing that that's what Andrew thinks. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what he thinks. It's like, if it, if it works with the great unwashed, it'll work here. It was very dismissive. <laughs> As a lover of Birmingham, I'm like, well... Yeah. No one's quite convinced about the cooler, I think it's fair to say. Jack's sort of humouring Andrew and letting him get on with it. Um, Kim, the head of pastoral care, is openly uh, against the idea. Um, Steph Haydock, meanwhile, has got blonde hair. No one cares about that. Um, everyone very quickly brushes past that. Bigger fish to fry. 
Uh, so meanwhile, Lorna is uh, revealing to Izzy that she is pregnant. Um, and uh, there's a showdown uh, between uh, Tom and Izzy in the wake of their kiss. Um, she denies she has any feelings for him, uh, tells him to basically forget about it. Fair enough. <laughs> um, we learn that Dante uh, is is either saying or really does not remember who was driving the car. Um, him and Chloe have a sort of interaction where they basically get their story straight. They're not saying anything. They're not revealing who was driving. I, I find it really interesting that at some point someone's like, you're not even sorry, and he says, I am, I'm gutted. And it's like, he's talking about an, a car accident where his best friend died. It's like, I'm gutted. <laughs> <laughs> There's an interesting dissonance in the writing of Waterloo Road between <laughs> um, what the characters say because they're so keen to keep the vernacular young. Yeah. There's a, a dissonance between what the characters say and the severity of what happens. Yeah, so... Um, oh. We'll, we'll get to that in this episode. <laughs> I had such a naff night last night. What happened? Oh, I just stole my dad's limousine and got my best friend killed. Yeah. Oh, that sounds rotten luck, mate. I know. I'm just, I'm really bummed about it. <laughs> There's a, uh, it, it's not a good day for Dante, it's fair to say. Janice is running around saying she wants an eye for an eye and talking about biblical revenge. Um Andrew's doing this exercise where the class can write a message they want to send to Adam. Um, they're openly using that to, to, to wish horrible things upon Dante, um, who, in a very naughty touch, is receiving some very aggressive text messages. <laughs> I don't think that's pretty naughty. I don't think that's dated. You wouldn't get aggressive text messages now. You'd get angry DMs and Instagram comments. Oh, uh, yeah, fair enough. I thought I got a text message. Exactly. That is my point that you eloquently summed up. <laughs> Which was, hey, just me see telling me about my overdraft or the government telling me to stay indoors. <laughs> um, so Dante is sent to uh, the cooler um, after he um, swings for one of his classmates in the wake of a, a, a threat. Uh, meanwhile, Janice recruits one of the rougher kids from the school. Um, it feels like in these sort of early episodes, they were trying to work out who the school bad boy was going to be. Um, well, this guy has track marks in his hair. So <laughs> Luke, they all do. They business. all do. <laughs> no, this guy is like, they shoot him from the back just to accent how many marks he has. It's like, this kid does not come here to play. Yeah, so he comes here for knife. So Janice recruits this quite rough-looking kid. Quite rough-looking? <laughs> is he or is he not? <laughs> quite rough-looking. They, tur- they turned him down without makeup as one of the living dead. <laughs> so uh, he's sort of uh, brought in. Um, there's a kind of altercation in the uh, lunchroom and um, Dante legs it. Uh, the rough kid tracks him down uh, and they beat him up and tie him up in what is a sort of storeroom, sort of strange anteroom the school seems to have in case anyone needs to be held captive. Yeah, yeah, it's convenient. Schools are convenient like that. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, there's an angry altercation uh, between uh, Tom and Lorna. Uh, Tom says to Lorna that he's, his heart's not in teaching anymore. He doesn't want to do it. He's angry about the baby for reasons, because the thing we know about Tom is that he's a normal bloke and therefore is perpetually angry about something his wife has done. I like the idea. I wonder, you know, I think he's in about 170 episodes of this. So that means he's going to try and quit 170 things. <laughs> 
that's when he's like, I don't want to get married. This is like, I don't want to be a teacher. Yeah, I almost feel bad for, 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 for your perspective of Tom Clarkson because you've had a very narrow view of him so far. <laughs> as, as you said, this man is here for the long haul. <laughs> Episode three is like, I don't like having feet. <laughs> I want to get rid of feet. So, but to be fair to him, because later on in the episode, when he's like, when we're trying to see that he's out of love with Lorna, he looks at her, how she eats a sandwich. And <laughs> I, I wouldn't love a woman who ate a sandwich like that. Yeah, there's a very aggressive lunch break. He's living with a psychopath. <laughs> so while all this is going on, the teachers are basically running around the school trying to find Dante because he's absconded. Uh, and he has absconded at the time that the police have turned up because they want to uh, arrest and charge him for dangerous driving uh, in relation to the accident. Um, meanwhile, Chloe is very upset because she continually asserts to, to, to Izzy, her mum, that Dante doesn't deserve what's happening um, and that it's it's not fair that he's been treated in this way. Um, at this time, uh, Adam's sister, Yaz, who has been palling around with with Janice, is, is shown something that Dante has written while he was in the cooler um, and sees that Dante is remorseful over what has happened. Um, and so she reveals to Kim uh, uh, where Dante is being held. Kim turns up just in time because the rough kid is now waving a knife at Dante. Um, and 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 he's on the verge of presumably committing some sort of horrible crime. We don't know whether it actually would have happened or not. I, I don't know. His hand was shaking, which I don't know. It could be misconstrued as adrenaline because like, oh, stabby, stabby. Or it could be Mr. nerves. Oh, no, stabby, stabby. But it feels very full-on. Like, do you remember when we watched It, and then, like, one of the bullies, like, just takes out a knife and starts carving someone's stomach? Yes. And I was saying at the time, that's a bit full-on, isn't it? Like, I know, again, I grew up in the Southwest. It was a very sheltered. <laughs> but I just feel like this, it's... It's very full on. <laughs> well, the interesting thing, like we we talked on the last episode a lot about the school's ridiculous stance about having a zero tolerance policy on violence against teachers um, and how it was odd that they were just introducing that. Yeah. Here, there doesn't seem to be too much of a problem when it's discovered that they've got a classmate bound in a storeroom. That's, no. that's, that's a, a bad thing to do but not that bad, until the point the knife is revealed, at which point it becomes serious. No, but even then, because they take the kid with tracks in his hair to the school like, head teacher, and the zero tolerance policy means, I'm going to ring your mum about you bringing a knife to school, and if you prove you won't do it again, you can come back. It's like, I feel like that's a once and you're out. Like, <laughs> well, if he'd waved the knife at the teacher, then that would be zero tolerance and he'd be out. <laughs> Well, if he'd waved the knife at the teacher three weeks ago, it'd been like, oh, fair cop. <laughs> That's a nice knife. Where did you get it? <laughs> <laughs> but so Dante is rescued from his, his predicament, uh, but is then immediately arrested and um, taken to the cells. Um, it's, it's, it's not a good end to the day for, for, for various people. Um, not least Izzy, who uh, uh, is dealing with a very uh, upset Chloe, uh, gets to her car to find that her ex-husband, Jimmy, uh, who she's preventing from seeing his kids, um, has superglued her locks. I, is that a thing? I, I, I don't know. Again, sheltered, sheltered upbringing. Um, Southwest. Southwest. <laughs> uh, at, at which point uh, Tom intervenes. <laughs> If we wanted glue, we have to go shoot a horse. 
<laughs> Fortunately, there were so many of them just cantering around. Oh, it was wild. And your, your many, many paddocks. Yeah, Paul Dark was running around in a shell. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so at this point, Tom gets involved, um, despite no one asking him to. Um, and uh, eventually he ends up uh, lamping Jimmy one in the face. Um, I'm going to punch a man in the face for love. <laughs> I've never punched a man in the face, period. Um, and I, I find it disconcerting how often it happens in Waterloo Road. <laughs> I don't know. I know. I, I know. I, I kind of worry. I never punch a man in the face either. And now, in this era, I worry I never will. <laughs> because I have to stay two meters apart, and my arms are not that long. <laughs> Again, topical comedy. Um... <laughs> How long do you think it's going to take us to record this first season? <laughs> <laughs> At the rate we're going, <laughs> it'll be tomorrow. <laughs> that like this won't still be relevant. <laughs> Like, the best we can hope for is a situation where this comes out when that is like, oh, we can all make jokes about how uh, Luke was was classically out of date with his references. (laughs) Rather than, this is just how we live forever. (laughs) That's the best case scenario. (laughs) So, uh, at this point, Kim and Andrew have a discussion outside the school. Um, She reluctantly admits that his disciplinary methods uh, did help. They helped that... I take issue with this. <laughs> Go ahead. Please, please do. She says to him, you have changed the whole school. You have changed Waterloo Road. Yeah, she never. She would not say the school. She would definitely say Waterloo Road. <laughs> like, you have changed Waterloo Road. It's like, how has he changed Waterloo Road after one child felt guilty for causing the death of his best friend? Like, that, that just seems self-evident, right? <laughs> oh, my God. You've got, you got a kid to admit that he felt guilty about his actions. Oh. Hey, look. Yeah. Gandhi walks among us. <laughs> Kim likes to see the best in everyone. Um, she, you know, she she's very much um, keen to put her argument forward. Um, but but when she wants to kind of help the school get through things, she's she's more than willing to indulge the occasional idiot. I, um, I do think the kind of framing of this series is kind of like it's it's two sides of you either beat the children and string them up or you let them run wild through a field of daffodils and they'll heal themselves from the inside. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, oh, which one do we agree with? Um, At this point, we go um, to a romantic dinner between uh, Steph Haydock and uh, Mr. Rimmer uh, that had been sort of seeded throughout the episode. Where a man with European accent seats them at table. (laughs) Yes, it's essentially the, the, the guy from first date um, is, is, is what we're operating with here. Um, uh, their date is, uh, despite uh, Jack's protestations, uh, is outrageously flirty and culminates in them having sex in the restaurant bathroom. The way, I didn't understand why any of that happened. I didn't understand what purpose that served other than just to give Steph something to say. But the thing I couldn't get my head around, I don't know if it was like set dressed or whether it was just in the pub where they were filming it, but that condom machine was miserable, wasn't it? <laughs> I can't say I noticed the condom machine. Oh, it's, it's all I could take. It's all I could keep my eyes on. Now, but see, uh, condom machines in pub toilets are miserable things. I I can't make eye contact with them. No, no, I don't think I've ever seen a person get them. No, I um I think I knew one person in school who got his first condoms from one. That's um, because everyone is too scared to use one because of the shame of being caught using one. 
because but it's one of those things you shouldn't feel ashamed to use one they're 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 uh, you know that's something you can pay money for and you get a service from them but like it's just it's the arrogance <laughs> here i am in this public space and like, i can't buy them over the counter <laughs> let alone I remember once I bought a pack and they were in one of those protective boxes. Oh, there is nothing. right. Charlotte and I, my, my partner, have a running joke uh, in which we refer to them as boxes of shame. <laughs> and there are, there are certain items that come in a box of shame. Yeah, it's like, it's like new Blu-rays, hard liquor and condoms. <laughs> it's like, why? Why those things? <laughs> And so it's it's worse in the era of self checkouts when you have to actually summon a member of staff. Oh, and they're always busy. That's yeah. the longest time. Like when it's just a loaf of bread that hasn't weighed properly. Give me, you know, take all the time you need. I'm patient. You're you're doing God's work, please. But then that same amount of time for when you've got a box of shame. No. <laughs> no, no. So maybe that's the benefit of the pub toilet condom machine is that you don't have a box of shame but that one was miserable <laughs> so meanwhile um tom clarkson is blind drunk um and is uh, telling lorna that he would never have married her if he'd known about the pregnancy um he's babbling on about all sorts of stuff he doesn't really know what he wants here and neither do we the audience no he's just quitting something this week <laughs> this is this is his i'm just quitting everything um he's he's upset with izzy because izzy kissed him and he feels he's been given mixed messages i think that's fair i think he has been given mixed messages but then he's just giving all of the messages to everybody but then again he keeps giving like nakedly blunt messages to people and everyone just interprets it like what do you mean it's like <laughs> he tells uh like lorna i don't want to get married he goes what does this mean yes <laughs> he yeah. says he wants to quit being a teacher and they're all like what do you mean by that yeah. Izzy, I love you. you know, I, I can't interpret this. <laughs> this man is an enigma. <laughs> Tom, just say how you feel, please. <laughs> the problem is he says how he feels so many times and they're so different. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, all of his feelings are that of a child demanding different biscuits. Yes. yes like, I would like one custard cream, one bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> one fruit shortcake. No, I said fruit shortcake. Non-negotiable. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that's where we are. Um, it's uh, meanwhile, um, uh, Dante and Chloe. Uh, Chloe has gone to visit Dante in the jail. Um, he tells her that what they have to do is each tell the uh, authorities that they were the one driving the car, and if they do that, then they can't disprove either of their statements, and therefore they will both be allowed free. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> Do we have feelings on their understanding of the law? <laughs> I don't like... Again, these are 15-year-olds. They're being... These are 15-year-olds who we're meant to believe as well aren't particularly bright, and they're talking with such convincingness. And it's like the, the show is treating what they're saying with like legitimacy. Yes. As if, if they can get their story together, it will have the impact that they want. But, like, surely this isn't how this works. Like... Well, I mean, we discovered in 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 last week's episode that the, the the show has a very loose grasp on how the law works. Uh, I think it's just at the point that they realise that they can just make up the law as they go along. Can we like can we like hunt the credits and see if we can get like a um, 
a researcher for Waterloo Road on an episode of the podcast. <laughs> so, like, so that was the easiest money you ever made, right? <laughs> you just came in, clocked in at nine. You sat there and occasionally you name a curriculum. <laughs> and as this is all happening, um, Mika Granger is uh, taking a look at her mother's diary, um, which is full of declarations of her affection for Mr. Tom Clarkson, um, furthering, I suppose, the uh, mixed messages. Now, I would say is, um, like, it's only in, like, TV shows and films where people actually read each other's diaries, right? And there's only, it's only in there that in these diaries kept in, till like, TV shows and films where people talk about their loves for one another. It's like, in real life, people should be saying, I want to shop today. <laughs> not at the moment. <laughs> I went to shop today and a policeman stopped me. <laughs> Said, haven't you already been out for a run today? <laughs> um... Yeah, but like then, like my one incident in life with a diary was when I read it and I found protestations of love for me in it. So I'm one for one in that. <laughs> that's that's one hundred percent of people who write diaries <laughs> love me. Love you. That's what we've learned. It was really uncomfortable. <laughs> I can imagine it was. What was because the aftermath they, of this? Because they were there, right? So like. They were like, oh, that's my diary, can't read that. And there was one of those like jokey things. I think we're how old? I think we we're like sixteen. Yeah. And then it's and it was one of those like jokey, like, oh you can't you can't read that, whatever. And then okay, you can read a couple of bit. Oh, just read it. And then in it there was like a picture of my head cut out with a heart. Oh no, <laughs> oh no. Like a serial killer shrine. No, the, the eyes weren't scratched out. <laughs> and it was just, like, it was Big red crosses written across. There was a heart. There was like there's there's a, a certain like level of devotion that requires you to go and use your parents' printer to <laughs> print out a picture of someone from Bebo. <laughs> wow, well that was a dark, dark story. <laughs> Rita, I married her. <laughs> I think she's fine. <laughs> hope so. Maybe we'll get her on the podcast. I'm going to ask her some questions. What was the psychological effect of having your love for Luke outed? <laughs> yeah, so that brings us to an end of this episode of Waterloo Road. Yeah, that's just a, yeah, not this episode of the podcast, on this stage, so the recap. Yes. I have things I need to say. Yeah, as I said, the end of the episode, not yeah, the end yeah, of the yeah. podcast. Oh, <laughs> I feel like you're being, over the course of these two episodes, you're being unnecessarily <laughs> semantically picky with me. <laughs> But I have insights. <laughs> and I'm happy to hear them. Do go yeah. ahead. Dante's dad has very big earlobes. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that that's the level of, of detail that you've got into. Like, the thing is, what's odd, again, you can tell, like, maybe I'm wrong, and if we researched the writers of this, it wouldn't be, like, what I'm saying is that it's written by, like, middle-class southerners, right? But it's stuff like when it feels like they're trying to get down to earth with like Northern working class and like Treneman is a bit of a conduit for the rest of the country going in and seeing what these kind of like harder hit areas are like and seeing what schools in these areas are a bit, you know, how they're, how they're tougher and how you have to try different ways to reach out to yeah, children. It's, it's, it's telling when your audience surrogate is a privately educated posh boy. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And like, if that isn't a red flag enough, but you know, see how they want to have these conversations. But then there's stuff like when Izzy's fighting with her kid's dad out front, and he says, I trust the bin man to look after her better than yes, you. I wrote that line down. Because yeah, yeah. what has she got against bin men? <laughs> yeah, like, what has a bin man ever done to hurt you? I. I can only assume that every bin man she's ever met is a terrible racist. It's like it's like she's really holding them up as like they're the lowest of the low yeah. and like, more than you. And it's like, look, bin men, they arrive when they say they're going to, they do the job they're asked to, and then they leave, which is all things that their dad failed to do in the previous episode. <laughs> and that, I suppose, is why the bin men is better. Yeah, but it's just, you just talk about it so negatively. You could just say, why can't you be more like a bin man? Yeah, no, I, I confess I wrote that line down because it did jolt with me. I got it quoted. I thought it was really, like, I really annoyed me that I did. <laughs> it's also like, um, it's also had the feel of like a, um American series, like the second episode after a pilot. So the pilot is filmed like six months prior. Yes, well, this is they- what I was going to say. This feels very much like a, a, a table setting episode. Which yeah. is, we've done the first episode with the requisite bit of drama, and now this episode is just to move the pieces around the board, um, and they give you the little bit of drama with, with Dante's knife kidnapping yeah. in, the, in the middle of it. But actually, the purpose of the episode is just to move some characters into some places. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a chess game, isn't it, Waterloo Road? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's very sophisticated storytelling. It's very Damon Lindelof in its approach. <laughs> It absolutely is. Also, um, the thing about the um, head teacher is he the worst man in the world? Like, because he uses like he doesn't even like begin the memorial service with a nice statement about the boy who's died. He just openly uses it as a way to be a dick about actions and consequences. <laughs> and, there's, and there's just like there's this feeling. Everything he says, everything he's ever said, not been said like he's ready to kill a child at the end of it. <laughs> He just he like he spends the whole episode, I think, furious that he wasn't the bloke driving the lorry that killed them. <laughs> the thing you need to know about Jack Rimmer is that his his whole exi- it's like that Hulk line in the first Avengers film. It's like that's my secret. I'm always angry. He has this well of <laughs> mediocre male angst within him that he just conjures up whenever necessary. Oh. And often it, it spews out at the wrong moment, such as when he's conducting a tender memorial service for a deceased teenager. Yeah. God. And also, like, the pastoral care teacher isn't without blame here, because, like, what's her face? The one who's now in Emmerdale, or was in Emmerdale, Chelsea something. Oh, uh, 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 Janice is the, being the Janice. character. Janice. Janice. All right, I'm not getting into that name. But like, <laughs> you you had your little rant about Dante last week. <laughs> I just it was spelled wrong. Dante's a fine name, but like spelling it with an O. What's going on? Right. Um, but she, like the pastoral care teacher, does not have a strong enough response to this girl with a straight face saying that a boy should be thrown off of a cliff and drowned. Who <laughs> says I don't want to hear anything about eye for eye for an eye? It's like quoting God to this girl is not going to help. Look, when you come to know Janice. She speaks only in hyperbole. <laughs> and, and so I imagine that Kim knows her well. Yeah, but then by the end of the episode, she's got him tied up in a room with a knife at his face. Yeah, but she's all talk, Janice. That's not all talk. 
She was in the room. But she she wasn't wielding the knife, you see. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. I was just I was just following orders, sir. <laughs> Well, I mean, notably, she was the one giving the orders. Yeah, yeah, you know it. <laughs> oh, you can't blame the general. The general never shot anyone. He just told people to go do it. Janice is able to achieve a lot by sheer force of personality. It's, uh, that's certainly true. Um, what do you think about the current Tom, Lorna, Izzy love triangle? I don't really... It's, again, we've kind of been over, like, Tom just says how he feels and both of them interpret it wildly. <laughs> I I don't think Lorna deserves this. I don't think it's it's one of those things like I I've seen it with a lot of shows before where a show starts and it like in the first episode it says oh these people are in love right these people are in love here these people are together but they never give you a reason they never try to explain why Tom is with Lorna in the first place mm-hmm. and they've never actually tried to take steps to explain why Tom is in love with Izzy yeah like because all Izzy has done is yell at him for being in love with her. And get in public fights? Yes. So, like, right now, I'm looking at Tom and I'm going, Tom, what what are you doing? All of your decisions are wrong. Yeah, you have a, a, a basically nice, albeit a bit high-strung wife. Yeah. <laughs> her, her most, the most cardinal sin we have seen from her is she wanted to plan her wedding. <laughs> <laughs> that terrible woman. And then, like, she, again, I, I, you know, the baby thing, I agree, that's not on. <laughs> but like again, you know, Tom's Tom. No, Tom's just a normal man, so he wouldn't see this as like. But you know, babies are a, you know, are a woman's business first and foremost. It's you know her body or everything that goes with that. So he kind of have a, has have a little wee, leeway there. But all we see is this man with a like wife who he's built a life with. We don't understand how he built that life because he seems to hate her. Um, <laughs> And this woman that he's in love with, but we don't understand why he's in love with her because all we see her do is be horrible to people. It's like a problem with a bunch of shows which like start with these kind of pre-existing things. Like the US office has a really big problem with it where you have the kind of two people who can't be together. I think it's probably the same in the UK office, actually. Hmm. Where you have- sort of, it, what it does is it plays on the, the basically the sort of heteronormative nuclear family idea. Those two are together because they're together. Yeah, yeah. And so we just have to assume that they are in love and they've got the whole kit and caboodle and everything's yeah. perfect until we meet them and the drama happens. Yeah, because there's like there's an absence of drama when you can't understand why Tom is with Lorna to begin with and you can't understand why he wants to be with Izzy at all. It's like in the US office as an example, you can understand why Jim wants to be with Pam because they have great chemistry. But you never understand why Pam is with Roy. But that is the main thrust of the drama mm. for three seasons is that those she won't split up with him despite the fact that all we ever see is this wonderful man around her. Yeah, because the reason they are together is because they are together. Yeah, they're just, they're just together. Yeah. But, like, you know, we've both, we've both been in relationships for eight, eight years. That's how it is, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean... Yeah. There are many people I know, you included, who have never known me not in the relationship I'm currently in. <laughs> and, you're, and you're miserable. <laughs> I am very happy. Uh, unlike uh, uh, the cast of Waterloo Road, who we are now going to leave for this episode. Um, yes, what are your hopes and dreams for the future? Well, I've already forgotten what the um, the next time is, so I've forgotten all the spoilers. <laughs> 
Oh no! Again, in typical Waterloo Road fashion, they're just kind of like outing the fact that someone's going to have an abortion in the next episode. Yeah, that that that's 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 how Waterloo Road works. Don't don't leave anything you know hidden behind the curtain, lads. Just throw it all out there. No, there's lots more Chloe and Dante drama to come, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I buy into the whole like what happened in the car being the big mystery. I kind of want the uh, spicy hard left, hard right to bite about how you punish children. Yeah. <laughs> to be the main thing well of course we haven't even talked about that that that's the other thing we learn at the close of this episode um that actually chloe was in some way responsible for what happened because she was on dante's lap while he was driving yeah that's that mean i would like to see that like not in this show but i'd like to see what happened there analyzed mercilessly in a court of law <laughs> Where does the criminal responsibility lie for that? Obviously, Dante is still driving, but can he drive effectively when he has a teenage That's girl it. on his Well, I haven't told you, but episode seven of this series is basically just 12 angry men. Um... <laughs> Thank God. I always felt this episode could do it. Like, in the first episode, they have a kind of, like, West Wing-style, um, like, walk and talk. <laughs> it's like in the early series of Skins when like um all the shots started with people's eyes opening and it's because the writers are basically watching lost and they're like that's a cool feature let's just throw that in there <laughs> yes and in many ways this show is the equivalent of any american peak tv you would dare bring to mind yes absolutely <laughs> So that's where we're going to leave uh, this week's episode of uh, Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. I'm going to keep saying the title, so, you know, just to make it so. And firmly embed it within the consciousness of anyone listening. Um, Yes, do please uh, let us know uh, how this is going, whether you are enjoying it. But as I said last week, we're going to have recorded the whole first series by the time you listen to this, so it doesn't matter. Um, And on that note, we will uh, speak to you next week. Bye. Bye.